our future impacts our today. Now, as the rain told us yesterday, summer has finally arrived in Scotland. And as summer is fast approaching, many of us are going to be going on our holidays. And knowing that your holiday is approaching, we get excited. We look forward to our holiday. We may even start to inform our colleagues about the weather of our holiday, what's it going to be like, updating them every single staff meeting of the warmer climates that awaits them. Well, Abby and I love to travel. We love to explore different countries, different cultures. And we spend our time leading up to our holiday preparing. We do a lot of research on where we're going to go. We work out where we're going to stay, what we're going to see, what's good to see, what we're going to eat. How do we get to these places? We spend a lot of time just with our laptops open, with a map open, with notes and pencil, uh, notes, paper and pens, uh, working out our travel plans. And we know that the more preparation we put in now, the better our trip is going to be, the more we're going to get out of our trip. We know that the hard work we put in now will not be in vain when we arrive at our destination and enjoy a holiday knowing that the research and hard graph has paid off. The reality of our future impacts our today. Now tonight, we're exploring our reality, our future as Christians, and particularly the bodily resurrection. So turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's a wonderful, glorious passage where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's refuting this claim that has arisen that there's no such thing as bodily resurrection. At that time, there was people going about Corinth claiming it to be foolish to believe in anything such as a bodily resurrection. And this began to sow doubts in the mind of the Corinth church, the Corinthian church. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Are we really to look forward to a future bodily resurrection? Now, that belief that it's foolishness to think of people rising from the dead is not exclusive to Corinthian. It's also prevalent today in our society. Maybe that is your belief here tonight. Maybe the idea of being resurrected from the dead is a little bit grotesque. You have this idea of these zombies walking about the streets. Well, ever since Easter 2012, Paul Rees, not the Apostle Paul, or Pastor Paul, has been taking us through this very chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to these sermons uh, taking us through this passage. It goes into far greater depth than we have time tonight, but they're worth a listen, detailing why it's not foolishness to believe in the resurrection. But for now, we're going to take a very brief look, a helicopter tour over this chapter, just to remind us what Paul says here, focusing on the main points. So come with me to verse 1, where Paul begins by encouraging the Corinthians to hold fast to the gospel. Let's read verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. And what is this gospel? Verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that... Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The basics, the one-on-one of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried in a tomb, three days later, rose back to life, according to the Scriptures. That is what we believe as Christians. 
That is the fundamental core beliefs we hold as followers of Jesus. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose back to life three days later. That Jesus had paid the penalty for our rebellion against God. He has defeated sin and death, and those who believe in him will have life in his name. John 3, 16. And one of the evidences we have, one way that we know this resurrection is true, is because all the eyewitness accounts. Just skim through that first section there. Up to verse 11. Christ Jesus appeared to many people. Look at that. He appeared to Cephas or Peter. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time. He appeared to James, the apostles. And then finally, he appeared to Paul himself, the writer of his letter on the road to Damascus. You can read more about that in Acts chapter 9. There's eyewitness accounts of Jesus rising from the dead. But... Paul poses a question here in this next session from verse 12 to verse 19. Say for a moment you ignore these eyewitness testimonies. Say for a moment you blank everyone throughout history who are willing to die on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. What would the consequences be? What would happen if Jesus had not risen from the dead? What if there is no resurrection? We'll look at verse 13. Paul says this. If there is no resurrection from the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And that means the preaching of the gospel, useless. Our faith in Jesus, useless. We have God all wrong, completely misrepresented him because he did not raise Jesus from the dead. And worst of all, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. We have no hope in life after death if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And Paul concludes in verse 19. Look at that with me. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if there's no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is driving home for us the importantness, how crucial the doctrine of the resurrection is for the hope of Christianity. That Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, we are still in our sins. We still face death. We're still under God's wrath, and we have no hope whatsoever. But, next section comes the good news. Look at verse 20 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that means that for everyone who believes in him and belongs to Jesus Christ, we look forward to be made alive in Christ, verse 22. And best of all, we look forward to the death of death. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed as a result of this resurrection is death. The death of death because it is true. Jesus did rise from the dead. There is such a thing as resurrection. Can we see how vital the doctrine of the resurrection is to Christianity? Uh, Bernard Ram uh, claims that the resurrection of the body is of such vital importance that its loss is the loss of everything. And he's right. If you lose the resurrection, you lose the whole of Christianity. You lose the whole of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The loss of this doctrine means that we lose any certainty that our sin and death has been defeated, any certainty that the wages of sin have been paid, and any certainty that we can have forgiveness for our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore we remain under the wrath of God. 
And if that is true, if there is no resurrection, then no wonder we are of all people most to be pitied. Because our faith is a complete waste of time. Right now, we are wasting our time being here. We may as well just go home. Go home and watch X Factor or reruns of the Bake Off on Netflix or something. Because generally, that would be more use of your time right now. If there's no such thing as a resurrection. But, verse 20, Christ did rise from the dead. The resurrection is true, and suddenly our faith has meaning. Our faith is no longer futile, but meaningful. That sin and death has been defeated, and we can have life in the name of Jesus Christ and forgiveness for our sins through him. The resurrection is a core, closed-hand doctrine of Christianity, okay? And it has present-day consequences. The next section, we can look at two ways to live here. In light of Jesus' resurrection, there's two ways you can ever live. Verse 29 to verse 34. You can either believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Great. Continue to live your life now any way you please because this is all you've got. If that's what you genuinely believe, that there's no such thing as resurrection, then make the most of your life now because this is it. Certainly don't put your life on the line for anything Christianity-wise. Don't waste your life for the gospel or for Jesus. There's no point. Because you've got no hope in him. Because Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if that's what you believe. Look with me at verse 32. Paul concludes this. If you believe that the resurrection did not happen, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Very much the YOLO, you only live once, way of living your life. Very much a humanist way of living your life. Enjoy life to the full pleasures it can give you, because this is all you've got. Get that bucket list ticked off, because this is all you've got. Tomorrow is coming, the day you die. That's a very bleak way of looking at life, is it not? But that's the way that many of us today think of our lives. That we live with this YOLO perspective. We only see what's in front of us. And we don't look forward to this future resurrection. But if that's what you believe, that the dead are not raised then everything in your life is going to be rendered meaningless. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many Olympic medals you've got. It doesn't matter if you won the Football World Cup. It doesn't matter what you've achieved in your life with friends, with your family, with work, with whatever. It's all going to be completely rendered meaningless if the dead are not raised. That's one way you can live your life. Or the second way. You can live your life not being deceived, and you can wake up. Verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. In other words, start living your life in the light of the resurrection. Come to the risen Lord Jesus in humble repentance. Turn away from your sin and turn to God and live your life as it was intended from the beginning, giving glory to God and to God alone. Living your life, your whole life for God. And you can be assured of the future resurrection to eternal life. You can be assured of a life that's filled with meaning in this life and look forward to the even better life that is to come. That's the two ways you can live. What way are you living your life right now? Now, if you are um, perhaps not a follower of Jesus, have you considered the truths about the resurrection? of Jesus Christ? Have you looked at the eyewitness accounts we have in the Gospels? Have you looked at the historical facts that Jesus did rise from the dead? 
Or have you just discounted it completely without much of a thought because it just can't be true? Well, can I encourage you to explore further? Keep digging deep. Uh, there's, there's actually there's a, a member of our congregation who is a detective, and he spent his time trying to debunk the resurrection. He approached it the way he would approach like a murder or a crime, looking at eyewitness accounts, looking at everything like a good detective, and you know what his conclusion was? It's true. It's true. Jesus did rise from the dead. Can I encourage you to be a detective? Explore this further, because if you think Jesus did not rise from the dead, then enjoy this life, because this is all you've got. That's what the Bible teaches us. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then you've got something to do. You've got to come to Jesus and repent of your sins, accept him as your savior, and then you can be assured of this future resurrection. Now maybe uh, for those of us who are Christians here tonight, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe we think, yeah, of course Jesus rose from the dead, absolutely, 100%. But are you living your life in that way? Do you live in light of this resurrection? Or have you fallen into the trap of thinking YOLO, thinking only of what this life has got here, trying to get the most out of this life bucketless? I'm going to rant about that next week, so I'll save that for next week, okay? <laughs> but I'll come back to bucketless next week. But are we trying to get the most out of this life, forgetting the better life that is to come? Are you living your life for Christ now? Because look at what we've got to look forward to. Look at the transformed eternal bodies that await us in this next section, verse 35 to 49. Look at how Paul describes our future resurrected bodies from verse 42 onwards. You see, our bodies are going to be transformed. They're going to be specially adapted for life lived in eternity. Look at verse 42. You see, what was once perishable will become imperishable. Last week, we looked at the, the pain of death and decay. Well, here's the glorious truth. If you are full of Jesus, if you believe in the resurrection, then you can look forward to death and disease no longer being able to touch your bodies. You're going to have immortal bodies that death and disease and decay can no longer touch. They're going to be imperishable, immune from death and decay. That's what awaits you. The bodies that are once dishonored and humiliated are going to be raised in glory with the divine approval of the creator gods. We looked at this incomparable glory last week, the glory that's going to be revealed in us. God's glory revealed in us. And these glorious bodies. Our weak body is going to be powerful. When we are resurrected, we're finally going to be able to perfectly keep the will of the Lord you're going to be no longer able to sin. How awesome is that? No longer able to sin. You can live perfectly, perfectly obeying the will of the Lord. No longer having sin coming and disrupting your life and causing the pain and suffering it does. A body that can no longer sin. And this natural body shall become spiritual. No longer will be a body dependent upon food and clothing, for survival. Instead, we just get to enjoy food and all the pleasures it gives us for the pleasure rather than for the sustenance. It becomes a spiritual body. And lastly, look at verse 49, the best bit of all this, the best bit, verse 49. This earthly body that once bore the image of the man of the dust shall, verse 49, bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, God himself. 
our bodies are going to be transformed to be like his resurrected body, his glorious resurrected body. Bodies perfectly fitted for life lived in eternity. That is what awaits the Christian. That is what awaits us. This is reality. This is going to happen. And when it happens, all is going to be changed. Verse 50 onwards. Finally, we see that the last things, that all things are going to change. Coming to verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpets, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In that moment, we will be clothed with an imperishable body. In that moment, we will become immortal. In that moment, we will be raised in the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ with a body like his. And in that moment, death swallowed up in victory. And we can cry with a triumphant voice, O death, where is your victory? O sin, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is a future that awaits us. That day is coming. That trumpet is going to sound. We can see that wonderful voice cry out, death, where is your victory? Sin, where is your death, where is your sting? Because sin and death has been defeated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ the victory that God will give us through Jesus Christ. What an eternity that awaits us, yeah? It's glorious, it's wonderful, it's amazing. It's fantastic to look about the eternity we have in Jesus Christ, this resurrected body that awaits us because Jesus rose from the dead. So, with all that in mind, how should we live in the light of this eternity? How should this assured future bodily resurrection impact our lives today? We may think, great, I can look forward to eternity. I can sit back, I can kick back, and I can just relax now, awaiting this trumpet to blast. Well, that's maybe what we expect Paul to say in finishing this lengthy treatment on the resurrection, but that's not how Paul concludes the letter. Come with me to our final verse, the verse that Ashley didn't read for us, verse 58. Let's read this verse together. You see, in this verse, Paul redirects our gaze from the assured victory that is ours to come to our life today. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In the light of all that Paul has taught, Paul does not call the church to sit back and relax, but he calls the church to stand up and work. How do we live? In light of the resurrection, firstly, we stand firm. Let nothing move you. Hold your ground. Just what are we to stand firm in? What are we not to move from? What are we to hold our ground in? Well, the same word used for steadfast or stand firm is also used by Paul in Colossians 1.23. Let me read this to you. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. In other words, become firmly rooted, unshaken in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the hope of the resurrection. Do not be moved from the clear teaching of God's word. A moment ago, we looked at the essentialness of the doctrine of the resurrection to Christianity, to our faith. Therefore, stand firm in it. Let nothing move you from it because it's a resurrection that gives us our hope of this future resurrection. That's why Paul writes this entire passage. Come back to me to verse uh, verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken what? Your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. These words are especially relevant to us today. You see, we live in a world of skepticism. We live in a world where there's no such thing as absolute truth. I, th- I think we live in a world where it's no longer a case of, well, if you can prove by science. I think we've actually passed that stage. I think we live in a world now where it's, well, if it feels right, it must be right. If it feels true, it must be true. We live in a world that's gone past objective truth, and now we're on subjective truth, that oxymoron. If whatever feels right. Well, Paul tells us, in light of this, stand fast, let nothing move you. Do not become wishy-washy with zero foundations. Stand firm, stand steadfast in the gospel, stand firm in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let nothing move you from that because as you've seen, that is the foundation for the hope of Christianity, the resurrection. So stand firm in it and you can be assured of this future glorious resurrection to come. How should we live in light of the resurrection? Second thing, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Paul is calling the church to work. Yes, the victory is secure. Yes, it was all due to God who won the victory for us, but that does not mean we can sit back, relax, awaiting that trumpet to blast. No, we're called to work. We are called to labor hard in the Lord. What does it mean, the work of the Lord? Well, I think in this context, it refers to gospel work. It refers to the proclaiming of the gospel and of making disciples, of making disciples of all nations. We read in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, chapter 9, Paul referring to the Corinthians as a result of his work in the Lord, that he proclaimed the gospel to them, he discipled them, and they are a result of his work in the Lord. And then we read in chapter 16, Paul says, when Timothy comes, see that he put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. This is the gospel proclamation and this disciple making. This is what work of the Lord is. And this is something we are called to give ourselves fully to. Uh, That phrase, always give yourself fully, is perhaps better translated as abound. Abound in the work of the Lord. Abound is a great word. It literally means flowing over all the edges. Think of our river that's burst its banks, that flows over. This is the idea we're meant to do when we work in the Lord. We're meant to flow over with this work of the Lord. Abound in it. Uh, We see this in a... The same word used again, chapter 14, verse 12. Paul says, Since you're eager for gifts of spirit, try to excel, abound, in those that build up the church. Therefore, 
to abound in the work of the Lord is to abound in the gospel proclamation, the disciple-making, and the building up of the church, ultimately. That's what Paul's looking at here. Is that what we're doing? Are we abounding in the work of the Lord right now? Is your life abounding in the work of the Lord? See, I think the danger of losing our focus on eternity is that we become too fixated on what's before us, on things that are seen. And that means we start to live our lives, as I've suggested before, living our lives just for this life, trying to build up our wealth, perhaps, our success, trying to raise a family, all this good stuff, potentially, but doing it only for the here and now, forgetting what's to come. And if you're working, if you're hard at work, and it's not for the work of the Lord, then that work is going to be gone. There's going to be no eternal consequences to that work. The only eternal consequence, the only work that has eternal consequences is the work of the Lord. And that can include anything from preaching, praying, encouraging, hospitality, practical help like financial, making meals for new parents, giving lifts to people, working on IT, IV, doing the music, welcoming, taking someone out to get their shopping, visiting people in home, encouraging them, teaching people at Sunday school, at nursery, leading Bible studies, small groups, doing the outreach table. You get the idea. There's a lot of work we can do in the Lord, isn't there? There's a lot of things we can do to help proclaim the gospel and to help make disciples. This asking the question, one question for God, is part of this work of the Lord, isn't it? It's part of proclamation of the gospel. This is you abounding in the work of the Lord by asking that question. Proclaiming the gospel and building up the church. Why? Because we look forward to eternity where the church will be raised in Christ and we know that our work will never be in vain, the third point. It is precisely because we look forward to this future resurrection with certainty that Jesus did rise from the dead, that he has defeated death by paying the price for our sins, that we know that this hard work in the Lord will never be in vain and it'll have eternal consequences. And the word for labor speaks of fatigue, a fatigue involving hard work, a tiredness from hard graft. This is hard work. We're called to sweat for the Lord. I think perhaps sometimes, speaking to myself, we can disguise our passivity and laziness in spiritual language. We're just waiting on the Lord. Let be and let God, or the best one, when we say, I'll pray for you, without actually offering the practical help that they need. Sometimes it's easier for us just to say, I'll pray for you in that situation, rather than doing anything about that situation. Sometimes we get lazy. Sometimes we just can't be bothered. But having a good focus of eternity, a good focus on this verse, knowing that our hard work is not in vain, will help us get off our spiritual lazy boys and start working hard for the gospel for Christ. Because we know that we are partners with the almighty God who gave us victory over sin and death. We are partners with the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who will one day raise us from the dead into these transformed, glorious bodies we just looked at. That is why we know our work is not in the vein. Because we are partners with the almighty God. And therefore the whole of our life that we do work in the Lord has purpose and it has hope. 
we work in the Lord. And we look forward to a day when we will be rewarded for that hard work. We may see some reward in this life, but the better reward is still to come. After that moment, that trumpet's blast, and when we're raised to the dead, look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. He says this, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Talking about gospel work. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid when? At the resurrection of the righteous. When we are raised again. When the church is raised in Christ. Because our hard work is not in vain. See, this whole chapter, as we finish, this whole chapter is a call of faith to faithful Christian service and the assurance that comes from the resurrection. The assurance that our sacrifices we make now for Christ and his kingdom are not made in vain, but will be richly rewarded in the fullness of that kingdom. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work in the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together.